to Romans chapter 5. As I continue to speak about sin, and of course today's title is Dead to Sin. Did you know you were dead to sin? Notice I didn't say sin is dead. That would have been better. The day is coming when it will be. But for now we're dead to sin. I'm going to start in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and read through 614. Uh, We're going to get into some theology here as we read. Uh, So you'll probably be be a little more confused coming out than you are going in. Am I getting a little feedback here? But I want you to to stay with me as as Paul just addresses in chapter 5, in the end of it, just original sin. Original, so I'm not speaking on original sin today, but uh, it, just, it does play into uh, the teaching on being dead to sin. And that's good news. The truth of the matter is we should be rejoicing when I say, or the Apostle Paul says you're dead to sin. We shouldn't be perplexed. We should be like, praise God. Praise God There's an answer to sin. Praise God that in Christ, sin has met its match. That's what we should be rejoicing. Instead of being perplexed, like how does that apply to me? But the truth of the matter is, if we were not dead to sin, we'd be hopeless right now. Absolutely lawless, hopeless people we'd be. But because we are dead to sin, because Christ died for it, we do have hope. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death reigned through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law of Moses came, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That's Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more will have the grace of God and the free gift of grace by the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like, is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following one trespass But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive an abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so that one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where their sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were were buried therefore with him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in the, in the death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you, make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Father, we know your word has just spoken volumes, Lord. And we know your word is enlightening, encouraging, and strengthening, Father God, but we know that the Holy Spirit has to illuminate the word so that we can grasp the depth of what Paul is speaking about. In our life of struggle, in our life of temptation, in this life of weakness, Father God, in this mortal flesh, it can seem that sin is very much alive. But your word says that we're dead to sin. So God, breathe upon this text, illuminate our minds. Let us leave here today understanding just how liberated we really are, Father God. Let us grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and his work of atonement on the cross we ask. In Christ's name, amen. And we're continuing on our series in sin. As I said over the last six weeks, it's because of recently how many people that I've known, not know personally, but national ministers that have fallen into sin, men that have spoke on this text, men that have national congregations, they love God, they love their family, they love their congregations, and though they love, they love, they love, and obey, they have fallen into sin. It just opened up my eyes and said, you know something, we need to take this more serious. We need to spend time on speaking about sin and how can good men fall into sin? How can men and women that love Christ, have obeyed Christ, have ministered before Christ for even many years, have been used mightily by God, fall into the trappings of the flesh? If we're dead to sin. If we really are dead to sin. And we spoke on the, the first week, we spoke about how pride can really think we're above certain things in that. And Paul has to say, therefore, if anyone thinks he stands strong and secure over sin, take heed, at least to fall. We're never over it. And as we shared, no matter what we came out of, no matter what was done 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago, if we're not careful, they can be resurrected and we can find ourselves being tempted by things we haven't been tempted by in many, many years. And if we're not careful, there can be new temptations that uh, we don't even know about that can come our way. And we spoke about how we need to exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He, he spoke about how sin can lead to pride. We also spoke about the deceitfulness of sin, the, the self-deceptive nature of sin, that we really think we don't need one another. 
and I don't need you to exhort me, and I don't need you to encourage me, and I don't need you to warn me, admonish me, instruct me. I, I can do it on my own. I'm good. I'm, I'm saved three weeks. I can handle this. I've been going to church for ten years, and, and I read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation. I, I graduated. I can handle this. I'll, I'll start to take it slow back, and I'll kick back and go into vacation mode, and maybe even sort of a retirement mode, and not realizing that sin is just there saying, oh, look at this one. He's fallen into the deceitfulness of sin. And we spoke about sin being like a warrior in First Peter 2. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war. Wage war against your soul. And we see that's only used three times in the New Testament. And it's, 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 it's pictured, personified as a soldier ready for battle. And that's the personification. That's the picture we get of sin. It's, it's, it's standing there. And it's ready for battle. It's like what Jehovah told Cain in the Old Testament. Be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door and it wants to destroy you. Same thing. And we don't realize there's inner passions and, 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 and lusts and, and desires within us that they might look dormant and dorsal, they might look innocent, but really they're militant and they want to tear us down. Those men I spoke about, three of them were sexual sin. The other two were sins of pride. And, and, and what happens, like, you really think you're in control. It looks innocent. And before you know it, you're ruined. Pride goes before the fall. Two weeks ago we spoke about, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and, and the things that hinder us. And we, and we spoke about, I spent more time speaking about the things that don't, they look innocent, it's not necessarily sinful, but we get lukewarm and we get sort of passive and we can get, you know, sort of spiritual apathy and, and we can forget. And then we can do good things. Our hobbies can become obsessions, which eventually lead me to spiritual weakness, and I don't even know it. So we spoke about that a couple weeks ago. Tonight I want to speak more in a positive sense about we're dead to sin. Now I ask Oli, do you feel dead to sin? I, I see nobody raising their hand. All right, I'll pick on a couple of people, okay? No. I want you to know, the Bible says we're dead to sin. It doesn't say sin is... Sin is not dead. It's, it's alive. It's deceitful. It's, 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 it's seducing. It's militant. It entangles. It's there. It easily can lead us astray. But the Bible says we're dead too. And I want to know what this means. Because if I'm going to really live the life that God wants me to live, if I'm not going to be a statistic, I'm not going to be the husband that falls into the sin, I'm not going to be the pastor that falls into sexual sin and pride, if you're not going to be the Christian that's here today serving God for three years, and one day, oh, where is so-and-so? Where did they go? Well, you know, unfortunately this is what happened. It's happening all the time. 
all the time. People, Christians, are becoming statistics. They're being deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. They've stopped being encouraged by other Christians. They stopped the fellowship of the saints. They've gotten into pride. They think they're above it. They don't need it no more. Before you know it, they have fallen. They've fallen out of their marriages. They're losing jobs. They're losing their health. They're losing their relationship with God. They're losing their relationship with other Christians. They're caught up with all sorts of sins and hindrance that are easily entangling them. It happens. What does it mean to be dead to sin? Because you and I know it certainly doesn't feel like it at times. It doesn't feel like I'm dead to sin. Sometimes it feels like sin is screaming my name. Anybody else? Wake up! Wake up! I know you went to church yesterday. It's Monday. You're mine now. Listen, in our daily fight over sin, whether it's the external, uh, you know, the bad sins, the lust of the flesh, anger, fornicating, drunkenness, uh, uh, licentiousness, hedonism, all the bad things, you know what I mean, that we want to put to rest, or it's the internal sins of just lust and pride and arrogance and jealousy and, 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 and so on and so forth. Uh, it's important to understand certain fundamental truths, and that's what we're going to go to today. We're going to revisit something we all should know and we need to hear all the time. And for some people, they might learn it for the first time or relearn it. The truth of the matter is, the longer you're saved, you go over old do- uh, doctrines you've already learned, it takes on a different shape. It, it gets it's stronger in you. You can see it stronger. You can see it more clear and more with Christians. But before we can apply this text of being dead to sin and its truths, to our life and times, we really have to have some kind of understanding of its historical context. I'll do the best I can. To read what we just read in Romans chapter 6, that we're dead to sin because we were baptized into his death. Understand something. To read that on its own, without understanding it throughout the whole book of Romans, specifically 6, 7, and 8, would do a great injustice. A great injustice. If we really don't know what Romans chapter 8 says about being led by the Spirit of God, then if I try to live thinking I'm dead to sin just by Romans 6, and I don't know nothing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you will be in for a life of frustration and weakness. The reason we can make and proclaim we're dead to sin is not just because Christ died for our sins and Christ crucified the old man in the grave on the cross. Understand something? Because the Spirit of God comes into us and makes it all a reality and empowers us. You cannot divorce Romans 6 from Romans 7 and 8. You can't do it. You just cannot do it. And Paul's not implying that. Romans 6, 7, and 8 is one long thought of the Apostle Paul. And of course, I'm going to hope you understand some things about Romans chapter 8, that there is no condemnation. Those who are led by the Spirit will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Because we receive the spirit of sonship. We're more than conquerors. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Are you with me? That God spares no good thing. If he gave us his only son, he will now give us all things through Christ. That's that's Romans chapter 8. The promises of God brought to our heart by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Only as we begin to recognize and enjoy, and this is important, our new spiritual resurrections, our new relationship with God, can we possibly apply other spiritual truths to our lives. I cannot apply the truth that I'm dead to sin before I'm actually loving and enjoying God. You first love and enjoy God and the forgiveness in His presence, and then I can tackle being dead to sin. Our being dead to sin is not an attempt by human optimism to live for God. That's religion. You and I know as Christians, born again of the Spirit, that all human optimism and all human effort to try to live under the command of God will produce nothing but more sin, more frustration. Even if I abstain from certain sins of the flesh, I'll become so self-righteous, it'll create a monster. It is in fact, I should say it is a fact that I'm dead to sin. It's a fact. It is a fact of Christ atoning work on the cross in conjunction with the ministry of the Holy Spirit that gives me a new spirit, gives me a new heart, and calls me and desires me to walk in a way, in a manner that's worthy unto God by new affections and new desires. It's not that just Christ died for it. I need the Spirit of God to witness that I'm truly dead to sin and I'm alive to God. That's being born again. It takes time to grasp, and sometimes it takes longer time to apply to our daily living. Second, Paul, and this is important for us to understand what's going on here, Paul throughout the book of Romans is debating an imaginary skeptic. You have to realize that. It's, it's, it's rhetorics. He's debating an imaginary skeptic. Someone who's playing the devil's advocate. Questioning anything Paul says about salvation full and free by faith in Christ. is the gospel. He's sitting there and anything good that Paul says, he's the skeptic. And well, what about this? If I'm, if I'm saved by grace, then why not sin? Why not sin? And that the Christian is a third party to the conversation. Paul is not writing to Christians, per se. Of course he's writing to Christians. But it's done in a rhetorical debate. Paul is arguing against a skeptical debater. Questioning everything God has done in Christ. The Christians are a third party witnessing this great debate, this great theological debate between the skeptic and the mind of the Apostle Paul as Paul spells out the full free gift of salvation in Christ and the skeptic answers his puny little reasonable uh, human sinful questions and little arguments that make no sense and Paul debates everyone with the atoning work of Jesus Christ. You have to picture this. Congregation may be our size for a length of time, maybe a little bigger, made up of converted Jews and converted Gentiles with some unconverted Jews and some unconverted Gentiles still there. And, and for weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years, someone's proclaiming the death and resurrection of Christ and 
salvation free and full and people's hearts are being warmed and people's hearts are burning for God. They're living for God. They know very little bit about it all, but they know they've been saved, they've been forgiven, they've been born again, and they're living for God. But there's this skeptic saying, but why not continue to sin? How do I know all this free? What, what's going to restrain the sin in your life? A young Christian might not have an answer for that. And here comes the letter. The letter from Paul. Now, for me and you, if I said we're doing an exposition on the book of Romans, a lot of Christians today, it might not mean much. But I'll tell you right now, 2,000 years ago, in this congregation, when they heard a a letter came from Paul, you best be sure, they were all there. They wanted to hear what Paul had to say. And when the skeptic would say, well, why not continue in sin? That grace may increase. And Paul says, how can we who died to sin? And the congregation would say, yeah, amen. That's the way I feel. I'm dead to sin. Paul's putting into words what I'm experiencing in my life. Just as you would die with Christ, you were raised with Christ. And the congregation would stand up again and say, yeah, that's it. I feel like I've been born again. I feel like I'm raised with Christ. Yay for Paul. Down with the debater. But that's what was going on. They were excited. Paul wasn't writing to Christians to remind them they're dead in sin. They know they're dead in sin. They know they're dead to sin. They're a third party witness to the debate. And their hearts are rejoicing. Their hearts are these people are not limping in. Oh, God. Sin is killing me. I'm, oh, Paul, I'm never going to make it. I, oh, Pastor, help me. It's not going to work. That's not what's going on here. They're living in the Spirit. They're being led by the Spirit. Paul is putting down the skeptic's cheesy reasoning. And the congregation is saying, praise God. Paul is putting the sword to this skeptic that's been flying around this congregation like a gnat annoying everybody. The apostle has written and hearts are encouraged. The word of God always brings encouragement to the born again heart. Always. It removes confusion. And it brings peace and contentment even when it's fully not understood. Am I right? That's what the word of God does. That's what's going on. This point brings us to the third, and we'll move on to our exposition. Paul has been laying out in clear exposition the gospel of God's grace. In the first three chapters, he spells out man's dilemma, which he sums up in chapter 3. We're dead in sin and fallen what? Short of the glory of God. Then God's answer comes. To this problem. What is it? It's the free gift of Jesus. He says this in verse 23 and 24 in chapter 3. For all have sinned. He's summing it all up. He's summing up the first three chapters. All have sinned. The Jew and the Gentile and the pagan alike have fallen short of the glory of God. And both the Jew, the Gentile and the pagan can only be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's the first three chapters of the book of Romans. Chapter 4 and the first half of 5 go to teach us that it's faith 
Trusting in the promises of God is the means to all this mercy he spoke about. If you want to have the gift of Jesus Christ, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. And it's faith that saves a man. Not his goodness, not his keeping the Mosaic law. It's simply by trusting in something that God has done objectively. It's on the cross. It's on Calvary. Paul's pointing to Calvary. Objectively, look, Jesus Christ hung on the cross and shed his blood that you may live. And I put faith, when you were saved, you put faith in the objective work of God and Christ on the cross. That's what saves a man. The objective work, no inner feelings, no subjective feelings. It's hearing the word preached by faith. Hearing with faith. He sums it up in 520. He says, Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is where our skeptic comes in. The debater who debates Paul on every point of theology. Every point of theology is contention to him. And he says, Then why not continue in sin that grace may increase, Paul? What's to restrain sin, Paul? Why not continue in sin if grace abounded? Well, I'll just continue in sin and, and God will give me what? More? If, if, if the law forbids sin and grace pardons sin, I'll continue to sin. That grace may continue to pardon me. That's logical, isn't it? But you see, the skeptic can't see something. The skeptic doesn't know that the believer is dead to sin and alive to God now. He doesn't know that part of the equation. He doesn't know the relational part of the equation. That when Christ went down to the waters of baptism, when I was, when you and I go down to the waters of baptism, we died to sin. And when we came up, we lived for God now. Sin is not the dominant force. God is. The debater doesn't see that. Most men don't see the fruit of a righteous life. Lazarus was raised from the dead, and they still would not believe. Still wouldn't believe. He raised the man from the dead. He called them to repent and believe, and they still wouldn't. Let me tell you something. You can walk on water at the family picnic, and they won't believe. I'm telling you now. You can walk on water. You can throw a a fishing line in and pull up 10,000 fish. You can feed the whole family with a sausage and a frankfurter roll. And they still won't believe. As a matter of fact, that man can come back from the dead. And they still won't believe. Because if you don't believe in Moses, you won't believe in someone being raised from the dead. You won't believe. This leads to tonight's teaching. A right relationship to God by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, puts us into a new relationship, not just with God, but with sin. Chapter 6 is about a relationship to sin. Chapter 7 is about a relationship to the law. Chapter 8 is about a relationship with the Spirit. Chapters 1 to 5 is about a relationship with God through Christ. Paul is going to expound now what it means to be a born-again believer. 
He's going to teach that our relationship with sin is totally changed now. Sin is not the master of our heart anymore. God is. We're not a slave to sin, we're slaves to God. The debater can't see that. The debater is just trying to go uh, intellectually to try to figure this out. Remember something, as Augustine said many, many years ago, a man first has to believe and then understand. You don't understand and then believe. Many people, the debater wanted to understand like the other man. Remember the other man in John chapter 3, Nicodemus? How can a man be born again? Do I go into my mother's womb and enter again to be born again? Of course not. But that's the retort. That's, that's the trying to reason through the Christian faith. And the Christian gospel and message is not asking you to figure it out. It's asking you to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. And when you do it, God gives you the kingdom and all its understanding. We're dead to it. And why are we dead? This is why. Because we are finally alive towards God. There's a positive and negative thought that run through these verses. Paul lays it out first in the negative. We're dead to sin. And later in the positive, we're alive towards God. In other words, I'm not alive towards God because I'm dead in, towards sin. Not. This is not semantics. I'm going to say it again. I'm not alive toward God because I'm dead towards sin. No, no, no. He's saying, I'm alive to God, and now, because of that, I'm dead towards sin. It's my living relationship with God now. The greater love that Paul could say, now I'm dead to sin. God is alive in me. Salvation is a new and living relationship towards God through faith, which in turn makes me to be dead and dead to sin. He's spelling out in forensic terms for the sake of the skeptical debater. For sure, the reason we are alive to God is because Jesus first and foremost died for our sins. We know that. That's what Paul is saying here. Which then makes it possible to believe, be alive towards God. The believer first taste, and this you got to remember, we all go back to our salvation. The believer first taste God and his goodness and his sweetness. And his forgiveness of sins. And then later on, he realizes his power over sin. You don't experience power over sin, do you? You experience fresh, sweet fellowship with God. Your sins are forgiven. The the light is brighter. The the grass is greener. The the sky is bluer. You're, You're in love with God now. You love the Lord. You're born again. You're forgiven. And then you find out you got power over sin. That you're dead to sin. We cannot overemphasize this truth. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone is not just about forgiveness. Please understand something. That's why we got to go back to chapter 5. That's why I had to read chapter 5. It's about undoing Adam's consequences and bring humanity back into a right joyful, sweet communion with God as it was in the beginning. We come to church thinking it's about, oh, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. Please, get away from that. That's a religious idea. Christ died to redeem us, to be in fellowship with himself and with the Father and with the Spirit that we can now become living sacrifices and enjoy life every day by God's terms as we enjoy God. That's what Christianity is about. People thinking about just, you know, tell me I'm forgiven, Pastor. Tell me I'm forgiven, Pastor. Tell me I'm forgiven, Pastor. Please, 
I'll ask you a question. Are you struggling with sin? Do you want power over sin? Start loving God. Enjoying God in obedience, in fellowship, in prayer. And guess what happens to the power of sin? It dealt a death blow. Everybody's trying to stop the sin. Stop the drinking. Stop the fornicating. Stop the lying. Stop the cheating. Throw cold water on me, Pastor. Throw cold water on me, Pastor. Listen. Enjoy God. You don't need anything else. Enjoy the Savior. Enjoy Him. And watch what happens. So many times we're trying to cut the fruit of sin off. Stop the sin. Cut the fruit. Stop this. Stop that. And go, no, no, no. Go to the root of the problem over here. Love God. Make a couple of hard choices for God. Living for Him is not hard at all. At all. All that, I haven't even got to the text. I'll do it real quick. There's three creeks. Three key words that express the essential truths in here. I'm going to go through them all. First one is to know. It's used three times in verses 1 to 10. He goes like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know, that's our word, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly be united with the resurrection like his. Though the believer experiences first the positive benefits of the gospel. The positive benefits of the gospel is not you experience power over sin. The positive benefits of the gospel is you experience life with God. You experience a born again relationship with God. Your relationship with God is renewed. Something you never had before because you loved sin now is there because you love God. A greater love has come into our life. It's sweet. This is the means to that end of having a relationship. Christ came to be sure and die for our sins because the sin is a barrier to God. But once he moved that out of the way, we have full and free fellowship with God. And it's from that place Paul says he wants us to live. That we died with Christ when he died to sin so that we can live a new life with God. Get your eyes off sin. Stop thinking about sin. Stop being uh, 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 totally conscious of sinning all the time. Start enjoying God. Start enjoying the new life with God in Christ. And you can rest assured that the power of sin is going to be totally diminished in your life. I'll ask you today, are you really enjoying God? I, I, I enjoy God. I mean, I, I, I get happy in God. I get real happy. I get stupid happy. And if you see me in the neighborhood, you think I'm talking to myself. Absolutely. There he goes again. One of those born again nuts. Talking to himself. Collecting cans. I love God. And if I'm not loving God, I'm going to fall into sin. I'm going to tell you that right now. If I'm not enjoying Him, if I'm not loving Him in fellowship, in prayer, in His Word, in witnessing, 
and being kind to people, compassionate people, and forgiving people. If I'm not doing that, if I'm not enjoying God, I'm telling you right now, I am slowly declining into where those other men went. You don't go from living in a life of enjoying God to living in sin. You don't do it. Something happened. Something breached the relationship of enjoying the Lord. Let's take that serious. Are you really enjoying the benefits of the gospel? He's talking about baptism. Baptism doesn't save. Baptism shows we are saved. The teaching of baptism is assumed here. We put up verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. Everybody say the standard of teaching. Standard of teaching. To which you were committed. What teaching is he talking about? He's talking about the basics of Christianity that come with understanding baptism. When somebody would get baptized, it's not like, oh, let me just get baptized. No, no, no. Sit down. We want to explain to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptism is an outward sign of inner faith and change. People are baptized not to be saved. They're baptized because they are saved. Baptism is not a ritual dunk forced on people in some religious way. But understand something. Baptism is a calculated obedience brought about by thoughtful consideration of basic Christian doctrine. Doctrine. Theology. Baptism is not sort of a flash in a pan, let me get wet. Baptism, as he says, consider the teaching you were committed with from the heart. What he's saying is this. It is a calculated obedience brought about by thoughtful consideration of basic Christian doctrine that all have died in Adam and now will be made alive and justified in Christ. Someone says, yes, I see that I'm dead in Adam. I can see my sin. I can see my disobedience. And now I know where it comes from. It comes from Adam. It comes from all human history. Death has reigned in human history because sin has reigned through Adam. And now through Jesus Christ and the resurrection, I can have new life. I can grasp new life. I can have new mercy because of Jesus Christ. When a man and a woman gets baptized, they're saying this, I believe the gospel. I believe that I'm dead in sin because of Adam and my own sin, and I believe because of Jesus Christ, I'm now forgiven, full, and free. Let me get water baptized. Paul's reminding them of the teaching they were committed to, that they gave their heart to. The second to know says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Only the ministry of the Holy Spirit can bring this apart. We can't know this inner life of deadness to sin and alive to God unless it was the witness of the Spirit which he speaks about in chapter 8. He teaches us and reveals to our hearts that sin is not the last word in our life, that the power of sin is surely broken. We are now to live this out. Uh, Chapter 4 and chapter 5 is called positional righteousness. Faith makes me right with God and I'm passive. I do nothing. 
absolutely passive. I see the cross. A friend of mine told me about the cross. I heard the preacher talk about the cross. I heard it. I could see it with the eyes of faith. And, and I ran to it. And I, and I embraced Christ by faith. And I'm, I'm positionally unrighteous before God forever as though I never sinned. When he sees me, he sees the righteousness of his son. That's passive righteousness. But now as I live it out on a day-to-day basis, I say, well, now what must I do? I love Jesus. Well, this is what you do. You live it out in your life. That's practical righteousness. Practical righteousness does not save. Positional righteousness saves. Practical righteousness, sanctification is justification in action. Are you with me? what it is I live Paul sums up the whole thing he says this in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 the same word I considered this is what he says I considered this after many years of pondering that if one man would die for all then those who live because he died should no longer live for themselves but live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's what a Christian does. We consider it and say, you know something? The old life is past. The new life is in. I've considered it. I've taken what I was taught to heart about who Christ is and what he has done. And I know I'm positionally righteous in the eyes of God because of Christ. And now, after considering it and after knowing it, I'm going to live it out in life as a living sacrifice unto God. He says this on the third one. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives for God. For the death he died, he died to sin. Whose sin? Us. He died for our sin, not his. His relationship to sin was this was that of a redeemer friend of sinners who atoned for our sins his relationship with sin was that he was going to die for it but now he lives to God as commander and chief of the church to strengthen, to watch and cleanse his church that's what he's doing right now he's alive to God he never has to deal with sin again your sin is dealt with once and for all through Jesus Christ and now Christ ever lives at the right hand of God he lives unto God to cleanse and care for his church and we'll close with consider Paul draws a natural conclusion from this so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now we are his loving subjects, the objects of his sacrificial love. Have said all he did about Christ's death and life and our participation with him, we should consider what's the next step. And like I said before, notice he didn't say we're dead, that sin is dead, but we're dead to sin. Sin is never dead. We need to be dead to it. I remember when I came a Christian, you know, racism is in the air again, you know, racism, racism. Well, I I was a racist guy. Simple as that. I had racism in my heart. It's a learned behavior. I'm not proud of it, but it was real. 
But when I became alive to God, guess what died? Racism died. Died. Love for many other things, guess what happened to them? They die. Because a greater love comes into our life. And we're talking about sin and this whole series on sin. How do we overcome sin? You know, it's like we're dead to sin because I'm alive to God. But if I'm not living in that real day-to-day dynamic of enjoying God, you're going to feel like sin is very much alive. And sin is very much there. Anger is still there. Racism is still there. Lust is still there. Greed is still there. Jealousy is still there. Judgment is still there. It's all there. Easy, uh, evil, crazy thoughts, they're all there. It's not until I live close to God. That's where the power of sin is broken. And excuse me, the last one he says here, the last word is present. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from the dead to life. And to your members to God as instruments of righteousness. This is the end of which Christ died for. To be in a right relationship with God through faith and to live it out now in practical righteousness. He says it in chapter 12 like this, please. Chapter 12, 1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's how we worship in spirit and truth. We live it out. We live out the law of love to God and to our neighbor. That's Christianity. That's worship. God doesn't care how well you sing or how loud you sing or how loud you dance. God's concerned about how well you love him and you love your neighbor. Living sacrifice. I can go on and on and on. Let me pray. close with this. All our meetings, all our prayer meetings, all our gatherings, all our preaching, all our fellowship, it all should go to enforce and encourage being a living sacrifice to God. When you're feeling close to God, you'll feel far from sin. If you're far from God, sin is very close to you. Look at our own lives. Look at the times. I can look at my own life over 25 years, not before I was a Christian. I loved sin. Didn't care about God, wasn't considering God, didn't care about Jesus. I loved the darkness. Didn't like the consequences, but I loved the darkness. And I gave up drinking, not because I loved sobriety. I hated the consequences of getting drunk. Later on, I loved sobriety. But God, understand something. Now that God is in our life, a love for God slowly but surely chokes out any earthly love. And over the last 25 years, when I've seen failures in my life, I can generally trace it back that I was not enjoying fellowship with the Lord. Wasn't enjoying Father, we come before you, Lord. And I thank you, O oh God, that even though we might not feel dead to sin, we are, because the Bible says And the reason for it is, God, because when we went to the waters of baptism in faith with Christ, we died to sin and we were raised to a new life. And I pray for all of us, God, that we enjoy this new life. That enjoying you on a day-to-day, daily basis, Father God, in, in sweet, secret communion and prayer, 
a devotion to the word of God which sanctifies us and separates us, God, and loving other people and loving you, Father God, we slowly but surely get further and further away from the power of sin. God, help us to enjoy you. Help us to live this life for you as living sacrifices, Father God. It's only in the enjoyment of you that your true restraint over the power of sin in Jesus' name.